Paul is speaking here, the Apostle Paul. He's the one who wrote the book of Galatians to uh, the city of Galatia. He says, I am crucified with Christ. And we'll get to what that means here in a, here in a second. And he says, nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. That's what we're going to be talking about today. So these next two weeks, we're going to be dis- dissecting these this one verse, and hopefully by the time we get to the end of next Sunday, you'll be able to say, okay, I have a better understanding of this one verse. And this is a very important verse because if you were to wrap up the entire Bible, this verse is, is a kind of microcosm. It's a kind of nutshell of the entire Bible. So it's, it's kind of like how it all comes together. There's a summarization of all of it. Even though the Bible is a massive book comprised of 66 other individual books that was written over a period of 1,600 years by over 40 different authors. It is a big story, but it is a very small story at the same time. It's a very big, broad story, but it's a very personal story at the same time. And this one verse kind of summarizes the overarching story of the Bible. It is, this book is the, the greatest story for sure, but it's a deeply, deeply personal story. And this verse, this one verse, is really the summarization of this one verse, of, this, of the whole Bible. So let me put this in context, how this is a deeply personal story. And, and I'll tell you guys how me and my wife met. So, so we met when we were in high school. I think I was in seventh grade. My wife, or not wife at the time, but she would have been in fifth grade. Uh, so we were really young when we met. In, uh, in, 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 I would be in middle school and she'd be in elementary school. Wow, that's a long time ago. And so we, we met when we were really small. So we went to the same high school, we went to the same church, we did all the same stuff, uh, never really talked too much, and then we graduated high school, went to college, we knew each other in college, obviously I was two years ahead, and so we never really talked much then either. It was about the time we got out of college that, um, that uh, my brother Eric was, was good friends with, with Amanda, and so they'd come over for like barbecues and games and game night and stuff like that, and I didn't really, I mean I knew him, you know, I knew her for my, most of my life, but I never really got, you know, really relationship with her. So we, she comes over for barbecues, and they're having a good time, and I start to, you know, we start to hit it off. We start to talk, and uh, so I start to pursue a relationship with her. Uh, but then uh, something happened, and as I started to pursue a relationship with her, obviously she, I don't know if she got cold feet, or, you know, her first gut instinct was the right one, and she, she kind of dumped me, and, and so she, so we kind of broke it off for a little bit after we had started dating. And so after we had started dating and we broke it off for a little bit, I had started, I, I kept pursuing the relationship, right? Because I was, I, was uh, I was determined to get a wife at least before I was 50 years old. And so I had to really get working at it. Uh, I got dumped a lot in college. Uh, I got dumped more than trash can in college. So it was like, I got I to get, get working on this whole getting married thing. And so finally, I, I keep pursuing the relationship, even though, you know, she wasn't really, it wasn't really, you know, she wasn't really, you know, she kicked me to the curb, kind of. And so I keep pursuing the relationship. And, and it eventually starts to, starts to come back together. And so we start to uh, build up the relationship again. Even, you know, after me pursuing her for a while, uh, she, we started to, started to go on dates and started having her over again. We started to pursue this relationship, started getting uh, into a serious relationship. And eventually uh, I asked her for her phone number. And I asked her, you know, eventually we, we had this, I had this special day all worked out. And I asked her to, uh, to marry me. I don't know where she, if she is in the room right now. But, oh, there, yeah, yeah. Okay, so she, she can test to the truthfulness of this story. And so, you know, eventually we got engaged and then we got married. A very personal story that I just told all of you all. And so you guys have this very deeply personal story about my life. Well, that's the story of the Bible. 
The story of the Bible is a deeply personal story. And so you may look at this thing and you're like, whoa, that's a big book. And sometimes it can be intimidating. Sometimes we think, I don't really understand everything that's in this book. But when you look at it collectively, when you look at the overarching story of the Bible, it's all about God pursuing mankind, God pursuing individuals. Those individuals reject God's uh, pursue, reject God's relationship, and God still goes after the, that same people relentlessly pursuing humankind, relentlessly pursuing mankind. That is the story of the Bible. That is the overarching story of the Bible, that God came to us, that we rejected him, and in spite of us rejecting him, he pursued us relentlessly, so much so that Jesus came to the cross and died for us. That is the story of the Bible. It's a deeply personal story. You see, why did Jesus come? The whole purpose of Jesus coming to earth, the whole reason Jesus came to mankind, the whole reason he came uh, into a dirty part of the world, in the corner of the world, in the Middle East, in a place that was just a desert that was taken over by the Roman Empire at the time. Why did he do all that? So that he could connect back to us. So that the, the relationship that what we once had with God could be restored and reconnected. That's it. That is why Jesus came, so that he can connect us back to God. And you see this in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, Paul speaking here, he says, there is one God and there is one mediator. That word mediator, there's one, there's one person who goes between God and man. There's one person who negotiated on our behalf. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. The whole reason Jesus came to earth is because we were separated from God. God was over here. We were over here. Jesus came to us to connect us and bring us back to God. That's why Jesus came. That is the story of the Bible. From start to finish, it is the story of Jesus, of God. God pursuing mankind. You see, it's much like a hostage situation. If you've ever uh, seen a movie or seen something on the news, there was a hostage situation, and they said, we're about to bring in our negotiator. They bring in our negotiator so that this negotiator can speak on behalf of whatever government, whatever institution, whatever police force is trying to get those hostages released. That negotiator goes to whoever has those hostages and he or she speaks on behalf of those people trying to get them released from their hostage situation, trying to get them released from captivity. That's what Jesus did. Jesus was our negotiator. You see, when we were far from God, God came to us. God came to us through Jesus Christ, negotiated on our behalf. So when we come to Galatians chapter 2, verse number 20, we are reading the chronicle of how we were reconnected to God. We're reading the story in one verse of how Jesus came to us, bought us back, redeemed us, and reconnected us to God. That is the story of Galatians chapter 2, verse number, 20, uh, verse number 20. He says, I am crucified with Christ. So what does that mean? When Paul says, I am crucified with Christ, he's saying that Jesus paid for and put to death with him all the sin that we had accumulated, all the things that we had done, all of our sin, all of our self-destruction, all the things that uh, were in us that separated us from God. Jesus came to crucify, to pay for, and to put to death with him all of those things. You see, Paul is saying that Jesus, he substituted himself for us. He substituted himself for every individual human. On the cross, Jesus wasn't just negotiating our release from activity, uh, from captivity. He was paying for it himself. 
Jesus wasn't just uh, negotiating our release. He was paying for it with him, with his own life. Jesus was, that's when this verse says, I am crucified with Christ. Jesus is saying here, or Paul's saying that Jesus came to us. He took all of our sin. He took our sin nature. He took the thing in us that was naturally bent towards sin. He took the thing in us that was naturally bent away from God, and he crucified that thing on the cross with him. So when we say here, I am crucified with Christ, Paul isn't saying I am literally crucified with Christ. He's saying the part of me that is sinful, the part of me that is broken, the part of me that is bent is taken by Jesus Christ and crucified with him. Why? So he could put that thing to death. So that sin nature, so that thing inside of us that is naturally bent towards self-destruction could be put to death and could be broken so that it no longer has power over us. You see, that's what this picture is. You see this in the Old Testament. This is pictured all the time with the sacrificial system that the Jewish people had uh, come up with, or rather that God had told them to come up with, is they would take a lamb, or really an animal of any kind, and they would make sure that it was a spotless, uh, spotless, unblemished animal. And they would take this animal, and symbolically, they would place their sin on this animal, and once their sin symbolically was on this animal, they would kill that animal. They would slit its throat, or they would break its neck, or they would do something to kill that, and they would offer it up to God as a sacrifice as a substitute for their sinfulness. So when Paul is saying, I am crucified with Christ, he's saying that Jesus was the Lamb of God. He was the sacrificial offering that paid for our sin in our place so that we didn't have to. You see, his death is pictured all over the Old Testament. That's why God established the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. Maybe you wondered, or you've had a friend ask you, well, why do they do that in the Old Testament? That's kind of brutal because it's, it's symbolically showing us not brutality. It's symbolically showing us the very opposite of that. It's showing us sacrificial love. The sacrificial love that Jesus expressed to us on the cross when he took our sin and crucified it with him so that we wouldn't have to pay for it. That's That's what this means. So when the Apostle Paul says, I am crucified with Christ, he means that Jesus took all our sin and took the part of us that was naturally bent towards God and towards sin, and he put that to death with him. He crucified our natural propensity to sin so that would no longer have power over us. You see this in Romans chapter 6. Knowing this, that our old man, what's he, what's he mean, old man? We're not, some of us are young, some of us are less young, but none of us would categorize ourselves as probably old. We're all young at heart, right? What does he mean our old man is crucified with him? He's saying the old part of you, the broken part of you, the sinful part of you, the part of you that can't help but sin, the part of us that before we met Jesus Christ, we had to give into addiction. We had to give into this uh, self-destructive behavior. He's saying, that part of you has been crucified with Jesus Christ. That the body of sin, the part of us that is sinful, might be not just paid for, but completely destroyed. That henceforth, we should not serve sin. You see, Paul calls our sin nature the old man. Before Christ, we were chained and enslaved to this old sinful man. But when Jesus died on the cross, he took that old man and put that old man to death. You see, it's much like, it's much like this, uh, this puppet I brought with me this morning. I had this since I was a kid, literally. So there's this little puppet, and he's, he's a little, uh, I think my mom called it Bandito. I had this, for years I've had this. He's missing a little sandal, probably, you know, our dog or, or one of my brothers ate it off. And, and so this little, this little puppet's very interesting because, number one, it seems that he's, he's violent, which suits our illustration quite well. Uh, and, and he's, uh, 
he's, he's controlled, right? This puppet, as, as all puppets are, they are controlled. He can't do what he wants. He can't move the way he wants, right? He moves according to how I allow him to move. He's controlled by whoever is pulling the strings at the top. A puppet has a puppet master. He can't, he can't walk over here unless I physically allow him to walk over here. He can't shoot his little pop gun unless he's allowed to shoot his little pop gun. He can't really do much of anything uh, because he is controlled. Paul is saying here that before Jesus Christ, there was part of us that was controlled by sin. There was part of us that was mastered by sin. There was a part of us that couldn't help but sin. It was the broken part of us. It was, as he says, the old man, the old sinful man. That's the part of us that couldn't help but sin. That was the part of us that was separated from God at birth. That was the part of us that every time we gave into a worry, every time we gave into self-destructive behavior, every time we gave into pride or to greed or to lust or to worry or to something, that was was the sinful part of us, the old man controlling us. Before Christ, we were moved and controlled and governed by our sinfulness and our self-destruction. But, but, this verse here, Galatians chapter 2, verse number 20, when he says, I am crucified with Christ, he's saying that the part of us that was controlled, the old, the old man, the old sinful part of us, the part of us that was broken and bent, the part of us that made us a puppet to our sin, that was broken, that was destroyed, that was put to death. So no longer, so no longer, so well, actually that is, that works pretty good. This old man was put to death. He was conquered. He was destroyed so that no longer does this old man, no longer uh, does the puppet master have power over our lives. Let me encourage you this morning, because of Christ's uh, death, the commands and the demands of sin no longer have power over your life. If you want to overcome some type of temptation in your life, you have the power to overcome that. If you want to overcome addiction, you can overcome addiction. If you want to overcome greed or pride or lust or worry or discouragement or anxiety, you can can overcome that. Before Christ, we were governed by those things. After Christ, we are freed from those things because Jesus crucified that thing. He cut the power of that thing in our life so that we can have freedom in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's trying to say here. And let me encourage you this morning, sin no longer commands your actions. Sin no longer demands that you live a certain way. Sin no longer demands your obedience. The power of sin has been put to death and the penalty of sin has been removed from your life. When we trust Christ, he imputes, the Bible says, he imputes. That means he places on us his own righteousness. And he imputes on himself. He places on himself our own sinfulness. So he gives us his righteousness. He gives us his freedom. And he takes from us our own sinfulness. You see, when we trust Christ, he imputes on us his own action of dying on the cross as if we were the ones who were crucified with him. As if we were the ones who died. So that we receive the benefit of Christ's death on the cross instead of the burden of Christ's death on the cross. You see, Jesus took our blame on the cross and we took the benefits of the cross. Everything that Jesus Christ did on the cross of paying for that, of paying for our sin and putting to death our sinful flesh, we didn't have to physically go to the cross. We don't have to physically pay for our sin because Jesus uh, did. Our sinfulness was crucified with Christ. Our sin was put to death, but we were brought to life. 
That's why Paul says, I am crucified with Christ, and then he continues. He doesn't leave it at, I am crucified with Christ. He doesn't leave it at, okay, Jesus took the part of me that's broken and put it to death, although that's awesome. He doesn't leave it there. He says, nevertheless, I live. So he's saying, even though Christ took the part of me that was broken and he paid for that and he put it to death, there is a part of me that has become new. There's a part of me that has become alive. There's a part of me that now lives, even though there was a part of me that was put to death. You see, I am crucified with Christ means our sin nature is put to death with Christ on the cross. Nevertheless, I live means our sin nature is replaced with a new nature, with a new man. My sin nature has been put to death, but it has been replaced with new life from Jesus Christ. So that we are no longer slaves to sin, we are freed from sin. You see, while it's true that we can still choose to sin even after we have received Jesus Christ, it is also true we can choose not to. You see, we can choose not to give in to temptation, uh, temptation. Whereas before, when we couldn't help but uh, sin, we couldn't help but be overcome by things in our life, now we are freed from, uh, freed from that, and we have freedom in Jesus Christ. The power of sin no longer has power over your life. It's much like um, when I was a kid. My older brother, he liked to, uh, he liked to watch uh, uh, surgeries. You like to watch like heart transplants and all kinds of surgeries. And uh, if, if you're like my wife, you, you, you get really queasy around that kind of stuff. You see the sight of blood and you start to turn like Casper the Friendly Ghost. And you start to, you know, you start to faint almost. My brother, my older brother loved to watch surgeries. And I kind of started to enjoy watching them too. So whenever you see like these, these, these medical shows on TV where people are getting cut open and all this stuff's taken out. And I think it's actually quite interesting. But one thing I find especially interesting is when there's a heart transplant. Because when you look at someone who is in need of a heart transplant, they're they're bedridden, they're restricted, they can't do much in life because they don't want to overwork their heart because they need a transplant. And, And some of you all work in the health industry, so you know this better than I do. But from what I see on TV, which is pretty accurate, I would assume, right? Because everything they say on TV is true. I, you see these people that need a heart transplant, and they, uh, they, they're bedridden. They, they can't run. They can't really do a lot of physical exercise because they, wanna, they don't want to overwork their heart, and they start to, they, their body starts to break down. They're not really healthy. And so the life is just, life's not good when they need a heart transplant. But once they say, we have a donor for that heart transplant, we have somebody who is ready to go to give you a heart. Obviously, they died. But they gave this heart for you to use. And they go into the operating room. They go to the operating table. And they take out that bad heart, which just blows my mind that they can do this. And they put back in the fresh new heart. And afterwards, that's the best part. Afterwards, once they recover and they have that new heart, they can do things they couldn't do before. Whereas before they were restricted in what they could do and how they could live, afterwards, now they have independence. Now they have freedom from being, uh, from, from being bedridden. Now they have freedom from some of the things they couldn't do. Now they can do some of the things they couldn't do. Now they can eat uh, differently. Now they can function differently. Now they can have a better quality of life than they used to have. That's what Jesus is saying here. I am crucified with Christ. I was put to death so that the heart of Jesus Christ could be put inside of me so that no longer longer am I governed by my sin, but I am freed from my sin. And I'm not just freed from my sin, Paul says. He, is, he says, I am freed from my sin, but I am free to live the life that God has for me. 
You see, it's, just not, it's not just that I can say no to things, but I can say yes to a different kind of life. It's not that it's just I can say no to addiction and uh, greed and lust. It's now I can say yes to forgiveness. I can say no to anxiety, and I can say yes to peace. I can say no to temptation, and I can say yes to victory in Jesus Christ. I can say no to things in my life, and now I can say yes to many more things in my life. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. You see, in Christ, I don't just have new life. I have a new way of life. It's not that I just have new life. I have a whole new, different kind of life in front of me. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, maybe you know this verse. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. All those old things, that old man in the, the, the lifestyle of the old man, all those things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So it's not just that I'm crucified with Christ. Now the sinfulness in me is put to death. Yes, that's great. But now I have a whole nother life to live in Jesus Christ. Just as Jesus resurrected from the dead three days after his crucifixion, so we are spiritually resurrected after we've trusted Jesus Christ. You see, we don't just turn over a new leaf. We've been given a new life in Jesus Christ. All things have become new. You see, Romans chapter 6, Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism. What's he mean there? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism. He's making reference to saying, I am crucified with Christ. He's saying, the part of me that was sinful was buried with Jesus Christ and uh, by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up, nevertheless I live, raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So he's saying, I've been crucified with Christ. I've been buried with Jesus Christ like baptism. I've been raised up in resurrection like Jesus Christ was raised from the dead three days later. And now I have not only conquered death, but I have, I can walk in newness of life. You see, that's the story baptism is telling. That's why baptism is so important because it is an individual identifying with Jesus Christ's death that he died for our sin, that he paid the price for us so that we didn't have to, but he also raised us back to life three days later. That's what, that's what baptism is telling us. You know, my, my older brother, again, I'm talking about my brothers today, but my older brother, he, uh, he has this thing where he, and he's always had a knack for it. I don't understand how he does it, this, this stuff. Some people have a knack for this kind of stuff. But he, he always, when we were kids, he always had these electronics. He's, he was... Uh, is infatuated with electronics, loves electronics, but he always has this knack for taking the electronics that are kind of like broken or old or like the old version of something and replacing it with something new, like bamboozling someone and just getting the new version of something and he gives them the broken version of something. He's always getting new. So whenever there's a new game, whenever there's no movie, whenever there's new something in life, he is always getting it. That's what Jesus Christ is. That's what this new life is. You see, if there's one thing I know about God, he loves taking broken things and the dead things and the things that are holding us back in our life and turning those things into new things. If there's one thing I know about Jesus Christ, he likes to take the things that we would consider dead things and replacing them with new things. If there's one thing I know about Jesus Christ, it's that he's in the business of making dead things alive again. He's in the business of taking things that we thought were dead, a relationship that that we thought was dead, a, a, a thought life that we thought was dead, things that we thought were dead, and turning those in and giving those new life. Because with God, dead things aren't done things. You see, we may look at something and say, well, that thing is dead in my life. It's done. But God looks at this and said, it may be dead, but I'm not done with that thing. 
You may look at a relationship, that's a dead relationship. God says, uh, uh, that, that might not be a dead relationship because I'm not done with that relationship. We may look at our lifestyle and say, well, this looks like a dead situation. God says, that's not a dead situation because I'm not done with it. You see, in our life, many times what we think is dead, God's saying, you've, you've, you've claimed it too soon. It's not dead because I'm not done with that thing. You may think the situation is dead, but that does not mean God's done. He makes all things new. That's what he loves to do. All things have become new in Jesus Christ. Paul put it this way. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But he doesn't stop there. He brings everything together. Why all of this matters. Why it matters that we've been connected to God. Why does it matter that Jesus came to earth and connected us back to God? Why does he care? He says, he says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. So he's already established that we're connected to God. I am crucified with Christ. We have this connection with God. Nevertheless, I live. We have this connection. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. What's he saying? We have been connected to God so that we can have communication with God. See, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. I have connection with God, but yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. There's a connection because there's communication. There's a connection because God wants communication. Let me put it to you this way. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 18. For Christ also hath once suffered for our sins. He suffered for our sins on the cross, the just for the unjust. Why? Why did he do it? That he might connect us with God. No, no, no. It's deeper than just connecting us with God, that he might bring us to God. It's not just that we have a connection with God after we've received Jesus Christ. We have now communication with God. We can talk to God. We can read about him in his word. We can speak to him in prayer. We can hear him speaking back to us in prayer. We can meditate on on his word. We can learn about who he is. You see, God pursued us to the the ends of the universe because he wanted a relationship. He didn't just want a connection with you. He didn't want to just say, hey, I'm here. He said, I want to know you. I want you to know me. I want to be close to you. And Jesus is bringing you close to me. God doesn't just want a connection with you. He wants communication with you. See, God went through everything he went through so that we can meet him and speak to him and be brought closer to him. That's why prayer is so important. That's why reading scripture is so important. That's why these things shouldn't be trivialized. That's why these things, you see, worship on a Sunday morning isn't a replacement for us getting into God's word throughout the week. Worship in this morning, hearing the preaching this morning, isn't a replacement for us spending time in prayer with Jesus Christ. It's not a replacement. It's just a supplement. It's just something that's added throughout the week where we can come together. But God intended us to have a relationship with him daily, just as you have a relationship with the people that are in your life. Jesus connected us to God because he wants us to communicate with God. In any relationship, you want deeper levels of connection. Why? Because you want deeper levels of communication. You see, why does this matter? Because that shifts, fundamentally shifts how we view prayer, how we view Jesus Christ, and how we view Scripture. When we see, uh, we see God, the whole idea of God connecting with us so he can be, communicate with us, it's no longer so that uh, reading the Bible in prayer is just some ritual we do or just something that we partake in. Or those, there's, it's not even that these are tools that make our life better. God is saying, I've given you these things because I want to communicate with you and I want a relationship with you. Too often we come to this word of God, we say, okay, what can I read about in my self-help book this morning? And there's nothing wrong with that because if we read this, your life is going to be a lot better. But primarily, fundamentally, this book is all about 
God communicating with you and you learning about and being brought closer to Jesus Christ. Fundamentally, prayer is not some ritual or some religious thing that we do or some way so that I can feel better about my own life. Although all of those things are great and all of those things are byproducts of spending time in prayer. The fundamental uh, idea behind prayer is that we can get to know Jesus Christ and have a deeper relationship with him because we don't just have a connection with God for the sake of itself. We have connection with God so that we can communicate with God. That's what prayer is. That's what scripture is. And this is, this is so huge. This is so shifting in our life. And here's why. Because that means this whole thing we're doing is an expression of Jesus Christ, God, trying to get to know you. Everything we do that we would consider a religious practice is really just Jesus wanting to get down to you to talk to you, to get to know you. Everything we do, from the worship to the, to the preaching to you hopefully reading your Bible on a, on a, on a day of the week and uh, spending time with God in prayer, that all that is is Jesus Christ getting to know you. There is nothing more meaningful than that. Let me put it to you this way. I, uh, I, I, have, the, I have a phone, right? I just got an update on, on my phone. I don't know if you guys got the update on your iPhone. If you don't have an iPhone, that's fine, I guess, you know. But if you do have an iPhone, even if you don't have an iPhone, even if you have an Android or whatever, you, uh, there's something called uh, uh, FaceTime. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? FaceTime. There's something called text. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about text? You guys know text? You, it, text. But one thing that's really cool about FaceTime is that um, you get to see people's face, right? So if I want to see someone across the world, literally, I just go, boop, one press of the button, and I can see them, and I can get to them. Primarily, you know what FaceTime isn't? It isn't just some tool so that I can do business or that I can do some stuff. And it isn't just some cool. Fundamentally, FaceTime is all about you being able to see someone clearer and not just hear their voice, but see their face. Fundamentally, it's all about you getting to know them. It may seem like just an application on your phone. It may just seem like something among all the other things that you have. But really what it is, it is, it is the ability to connect with someone that you think is far away. And that may be far away. Text is really just a quick way to say, hey, how's your day? That's what prayer is. That, that's what our word is. That's the word that's on your lap this morning, that's behind me. That's what that is. We may think it's just something in the midst of all the other things in our life, but God's saying, no, 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 it's much more than that. This is the ability that you have to communicate with me. To not just hear my voice, but you can see my face in these words. And not just see my face, but you can get to know my heart in prayer. That's why this is so important. That's that's what prayer is, what scripture is. That's why Jesus died. That's why he says, Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me.